Welcome to WP Tonic Roundtable Podcast, where a panel of leading WordPress junkies discusses the latest WordPress and internet stories of the week. Now, on with the show with your moderator, Jonathan Denwood. Welcome back, folks, to the WP Tonic Roundtable show. It's episode 495. We've got a small panel, but a powerful panel. I think I've rustled up some really interesting stories. I think it's going to be a great show, folks. So let's start off the show with letting my panel introduce themselves. So Spencer, would you like to introduce yourself first? Sure. Spencer Foreman from launchflows.com. Right. And I've got my great co-host, Adrian. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, everyone. My name is Adrian. I'm the CEO and founder of Groundhog. We help small businesses automate their sales and marketing. And I've got some more panelists saying they'll be joining us a bit later. They're a bit late. It is early, slightly early in the morning, though, for some. So um, before we go into our main stories, I want to talk about our great sponsors that really help make the show exist, basically. Um, and that, starting off with Kinsta. Kinsta only hosts WordPress. They specialize in WordPress hosting. We've been hosting the WP Tonic website with them for over two years. A great hosting company. They use the power of Google Cloud. And then they offer a lot of extras. Those extras is a kind of interface to dream about. After you've used Kinsta, you don't really want to go back to other people's interfaces. All the technology you would wish. Um, latest version of um, PHP with one click, um, daily backup, manual backups. It goes on and on and on. They've really sorted out the interface. And then you get really fantastic 24-7 support from people that really know WordPress. You don't have to be as serrated up the support chain. Normally the person you're talking to uh, at the start of a conversation is the person that you end the conversation with and they answer really quickly. You're not put on hold forever and ever. So if that sounds great for you or your clients, go over to Kinster and tell them that you heard about them on the WP Tonic Show. Another um, of our sponsors is LaunchFlows. Now, LaunchFlows is a really fantastic product that does something really difficult. It really helps you make building really modern funnels possible in the WordPress ecosystem by using LaunchFlows, WooCommerce, and Alimator as a package. And WooCommerce and Alimator, you can use the free products. With LaunchFlows, you can then really build fantastic funnels, not only for your shopping cart, but literally for anything. It is quite amazing what you can do with it. They've been building the product and rapidly changing it over the past couple of months. It's become even more powerful. So I suggest that you go over to LaunchFlows and use this coupon code um, WP Tonic Rocks. I repeat that, WP Tonic Rocks, and you get 25% of this amazing product. That go over there and try it out. So let's go into the first story. Um, Matt Marwig, um, he was at WordCamp Spain. Um, I would imagine it wasn't a face to face WordCamp. Um, and he was interviewed partially, slightly in Spanish, but mostly in English. And I thought it was a reasonably fascinating conversation. What did you think, Spencer? I mean, the takeaway from uh 
from what I read was that his belief system is that Gutenberg blocks is going to squeeze out other page builders. And I, despite whether or not you use some kind of uh, JavaScript front end or even another back end, I just don't see that as being the outcome at all. I think if anything, there will be a necessity for WordPress to maintain complete parity with the page builders, whether it's Elementor or Oxygen or something else. So, I mean, it's it's obvious that he's motivated and biased at the same time, but there's no evidence that right now that's happening. The further um, part about it that is just interesting is that there doesn't seem to be any conversation about like the the fundamental, what is the Gutenberg? Is it an editor or is it a builder? And I think that's always in my mind right now because like as I use Gutenberg on a default WordPress, I still have to force it into classic mode just to visually recognize where the various components are. And until they even fix those foundations, we're having the same discussion over and over again, which is it, it's a million miles away from competing with Elementor or one of those other ones. And even compared to classic editor, they still just don't fix the basics. No, it's a fast, it was a fascinating, um, just had another panelist join us, my friend, John, um, yeah, it's fascinating, Spencer, that um, the kind of conversation. So what did you think, Adrian? So, besides the, uh, the conversation about, you know, the future of page builders, and it remained, I think it's a little bit too early to tell, to call it at this point, whether they're all just going to adopt Gutenberg and then innovate on top of the, the core platform. The other interesting conversation was uh, well, Automatic's investment in Frontity and whether we're going to see uh, kind of like the decoupled front end join WordPress core at some point. It's sad to see that that's not currently on the roadmap, but at least their support is obviously going to end up in some changes to core, probably making the, the eventual transition maybe far into the future via plugin or other service or Jetpack or whatever. The, the transition to a decoupled front end for like blazing fast websites, uh, a lot more possible. So that's exciting, but not coming to core in any kind of within the next year, years, for sure. Now, I think they were the two key things. Uh, thanks for joining us, John. It's much appreciated. What did oh, yeah. You, no what did you think of this um, interview with Matt? Well, I think the page builders are going to be here for a couple of years to come at least. I don't think Gutenberg is ready to be um, a, a, a full theme editing tool. I know that's the direction that they're working in. I mean, it's getting closer. Um, they're developing the blocks, I mean, for sure. Um, but I, I just, I don't see adoption on this by the regular, um, you know, uh, end users, the people who are used to going to theme forest and, uh, buying like one of those themes or people who use Divi or Elementor or uh, Beaver Builder. I just see those types of people uh, continuing to use page builders uh, until they go away completely and are rendered completely obsolete. And uh, like I said, if, if Elementor ever does a uh, fork of WordPress where they run their own e-commerce and page building yeah. system on top of it. I think that would be a competitor to WordPress. Well, actually that, that, that is the, this is, must be the nightmare for Matt is that you, they're 
building strength. Secretly, you must really want them to disappear. Secretly, he must even be considering them buying them out as they grow stronger. Elementor? Yeah, why not? He's, he's got the money. I mean, it's an interesting theory, but I don't think they have the money. Uh, Elementor's like, backed by their own VCs in Israel, I believe, and elsewhere. And there, there's no way the VCs for Automatic are going to be able to outbuy the VCs from... Oh, you might be right. I, I think you're actually wrong there. I think it could go to market and it would actually, um, sooner the better. I think the sooner he acts to get them out of the way uh, um, and implement it. I, I mean, uh, I, I want to throw something in because this has come in with the elementary discussion as of late. And I know John and Adrian both had opinions on this, but this is worth worthy of our maybe detouring a bit. So there have been people in the last week or two and various other articles calling Elementor out for their move to test the GPL with their current pro version, which I had alluded to several shows ago, which is they are breaking the GPL with the way they change their pro version because the pro version ceases to function unless it is live connected in a phone home method to the mothership, which they are arguing falsely, I'm speaking with my lawyer hat on now, falsely that it's a copyright issue or a trademark issue or they can do what they want. It's false because that's been proven in the past through Red Hat software and other kind of Linux stuff that you can't take GPL software, wrap a label of copyright crap around it or need to protect your stuff and call it something else because at the core, it's still GPL. So what I think is really going on is Let's look at the two warring parties, right? It's like Netscape, Microsoft, Browser Wars. Automatic is screwed because at their core, they are GPL. You, they cannot undo 14 to 16 years of GPL. Elementor is only GPL by necessity, but they have access to the WordPress source code. So... If they wanted to, Elementor could pull a power play and say, F all of you, our pro stuff is no longer GPL, and we're breaking with that. But we're coming out with a version of WordPress that will fundamentally operate our pro level on top of it, and we'll host it, and we'll do everything. Like, they have the ability to take all of automatic stuff, but not the other way around. And I think that's a very interesting power play. If you got a world where everybody's starting to move online and they need a CMS, Elementor's in a position through their VCs to say, screw it. We'll hire all the automatic staff. We'll take all the brain drain. We'll pay them like real human beings should be paid. And we'll fix all the problems ourselves. Ta-da. Yeah, yeah we could go either way. True. All right, on to story two. <laughs> um, well, we don't know, do we, Spencer? It really could go, it could go a number of ways, couldn't it? I'm not saying that, that that's like the definitive answer. I'm simply saying. Well, I think part, I think fundamentally no, but I I do think it probably sooner than later, probably a lot sooner than I think. I think probably in a year, but it could happen a lot sooner. There there is going to have to be a confrontation between between Matt. And Alameda, it's coming. The reckoning is coming. The reckoning is coming, and <laughs> it's it's on the cards. And it, you know, for business reasons, it's going to happen, isn't it, Spencer? This is where I miss Morton the most <laughs> because we have no inside track other than you know through our own sources. And if I was to call up the ghost of Morton past, 
Or maybe he can do like one of those shadow call-ins where you change his form. Yeah, you have to come in his witness protection. You have to come in his Can't you do like one of those dark shadow screens and we just hear a slight accent and we just don't know who it is? But I would say that the verbiage that Matt is using in his very calm... It's always the same. is, ...is hinting to what's really brewing, which is there's gonna be a showdown. But again, an Israeli company with 110 people in it going like gangbusters, I would not bet against versus whatever the hippie community It's is. the only plausible threat <laughs> to his master plan, you know, you know, it really is. It's it really is a thorn. It's you know, I'd imagine the conversations in private. <laughs> Uh, are pretty blue about his what his real um, thoughts about Alameda. I would imagine he would just love it just to disappear tomorrow. Well, because <laughs> you know? You know, when, when when you look at what he's alluding to, he's alluding to the fact he's saying, you know, the page builders are going to go away in a couple of years, which is sort of projecting. It's like saying, he's saying, oh, your, your competition going to die of natural death. You know, I'm, sure, I'm going to go to the funeral and say, I'm really sorry, but you know, when I get back to my own house, it's, Right. Flashback to 2006 and the guy who wrote B2 is like, I'm sure in a while that Matt Mullenweg character will go away. You know? Yeah. It's it's typical Matt, though. It really is. Um, On to story two. Um, Kickstarter loses nearly 40% of its workforce after layoffs and buyouts. What do you reckon of this one, Adrian? Well... Uh, picture for a second that you know the uh, worldwide virus you know comes to earth and all of a sudden everybody is kind of looking at their wallets like I might need that and then all of a sudden nobody's backing projects that may or may not succeed anymore yeah yeah I I was wondering if I should put the story in the list but I was going to put this to you Adrian do you think it was solely around the virus really or do you think there was some long-term problems with these type of kickstarter campaigns anyway uh, you know i think i don't think there's anything inherently wrong with kickstarter as a service and their actual product just allowing founders to get seed money in order to produce a product but the when when you know the global idea around okay now i need to kind of like pinch my pennies and make sure that my money lasts longer Investing in a Kickstarter project is like borderline frivolous because it's very, you know, touch and go whether that product will actually succeed or not. And your your money is actually used and invested properly or you're just going to lose it. So why invest in something that's maybe or maybe not going to work and that you may not actually get any value of or are you going to put that money aside for the rainy day? and ensure that you're going to use it for groceries, which are now 30% more expensive than they were two months ago. I'm I'm going to the grocery store, and for the same money that I spent maybe like $100 three months ago for groceries, I'm now spending $260. And it's like, how the... So why am I going to like go to Kickstarter and I'm going to invest in a project when I can as easily use that money to go pay my grocery bill, which is a lot more expensive. Yeah, I see where you're coming. I think I really think that's like the sole reason. I mean, Kickstarter yeah. is doing fine ahead of this, and I've been following a couple of Kickstarter projects that are just like fun, and they appear to be being funded. But a lot of people and a lot of, I mean, one of the in the article it says that one of the biggest reasons 
is a lack of new projects as well, because a lot of people are kind of just like in hunker down, you know, get into the bunker mode. Yeah, and that's quite, resulting I, in no projects. Yeah, I, I take your opinion. Um, I don't quite follow that last one to some extent. I put this to John. The only reason it's not a kind of startup company, it's been around for quite a while. I didn't check what their finances were. I'm not, I don't know if it's a private company or it's public, actually. Um, but it's been around about four, five, six years, hasn't it? So it's not a kind of startup. And for them in about four to five months to have to do these type of um, redundancies and cutbacks, I was a little bit shocked. What do you reckon, John? Well, <clears throat> I'm going I'm to talk about an aspect of which um, I have some kind of knowledge, um, which is the union contracts and what happens during uh, a buyout. So Kickstarter is one of the first tech companies to have a union. I know Amazon is trying, some of their employees are trying to organize a union right now. And what happens in, in a union is basically um, you negotiate a contract for like a certain period of time for uh, the different workers. Now, when there's a buyout like this, um, and I can tell you this happened uh, when I was managing the bakery and the grocery store, um, what they have is they would offer uh, to any of the employees that were uh, had been there for five years or more, they'd offer them a buyout. Uh, and basically, that is to churn people off of the old contracts. And it's a long-term goal. And I know that this union is only three months old, but it's it's not necessarily a good sign uh, for for the long term because what happens is is it, they sign people under the new contracts, which are usually substantially worse or incrementally worse. Uh, and what happens is over period of contracts, when you keep be- buying people out during whether it's during a time of crisis or not. Uh, you eventually get people back to the spot they were before they negotiated. So that's so you what you think. I, this is what, rather than rather than a true just like reasoning, uh, which they said less business means you know layoffs. You think that this is just a power play in order to kind of get get gain some ground back to where their their employment situation before COVID. I don't think any employer is benevolent by <laughs> nature. Uh, and especially if the employees uh, saw the need to form a union in the first place, um, <clears throat> there's always going to be two sides. There's always going to be um, management or the employers and labor. And uh, well, no, thank, thank, really, I really thank you for. Yeah. I, I didn't know any of that. I just sensed. I think it's probably a bit of both, Adrian. I think it is your correct, Adrian. It's the economic. But I just sense that there must have been something else. And I think I didn't know about what John's just put on the table, but it makes sense to me that it's, um, and I think that puts a light on the little bit of extra. What do you reckon, Spencer? I mean, John's point is uh, part of the issue with regard to the employees. But as far as a company, you know, frivolous, as Adrian said, is a good word to describe it. You've got a scenario right now where people are distracted by either survival or refactoring what things that they spend their money on, right? Even if they have money, it's not like the wealthy are going off and eating it up at restaurants and traveling anymore, right? So the idea is 
Kickstarter reminds me a lot of Groupon, which was a Chicago company that was started after the, the, before the real estate recession. I believe it started after the 2000-something recession. And it was because people were in a mood to get deals. And they somehow convinced all of the companies online and off to give away their shit at 50% off, 100% off. And that lasted for, uh, for as long as it lasted. And there was a very famous, I, I think he did fine, but Andrew Mason, the young guy who started it, made a ton of money. But like he tried his hand at being CEO and they, they had to remove him. The, the point is, Kickstarter had its moment in the sun. I just yeah. don't see if it's of any value right now because who really is going to trust a bunch of random people to make stuff in a world where you can't leave your house right now? And even Amazon is like saying, well, maybe we'll deliver this, maybe we won't because it's a priority. So it's just the wrong thing for the wrong time. And the, the thing that I see coming from this is that, you know, they made their own bed. A hundred and, what is it, 140 employees? How many was, it's like, yeah. why do they need that many employees from? Yeah, I, I, I think that. It's yeah. just a digital middleman. So say lovey. Yeah, uh, I think you made some good points there. Uh, we're going to go for our break. Got some other excellent stories. We'll be back in a few moments. Are you a WordPress consultant, designer, or small digital agency owner? Then you need WPTonic as your trusted white label developer partner for your next big e-learning or WooCommerce project. WPTonic has the knowledge to help you build out custom functionality that your clients need in LearnDash, Lifter LMS, and WooCommerce. WP Tonic is well-known and trusted in the WordPress community. They stand behind their work with a full, no-question-asked, 30-day money-back guarantee. So don't delay. Find out how WP Tonic's white-label services can help your agency today. Go to wp-tonic.com's homepage and book a free consultation with Jonathan. That's wp-tonic, just like the podcast. We're coming back. Got a small panel, but a powerful panel. I think we've powered through some of the interesting stories. On on we go. Um, searches for WordPress are up 52% last month, understanding the search. What do you reckon about this one, John? Oh, yeah. So, um, Alex Stenning's article. Um, I think right now, with everybody in quarantine, I, I think a lot of people are, are focusing more on their website. And whether they have an existing website or they're needing to pivot their brick and mortar business into an online um, offering, you know, curbside pickup or delivery or e-commerce or whatever it is. No doubt that people are looking at WordPress because they've probably heard that before, that that's the best way to uh, get a site up that, that has robust functionality. So either people are turning back to their existing site and trying to make improvements or they're having to pivot their business model into something, you know, like selling uh, N95 masks or something like that. So, yeah. Now, what do you reckon, Spencer? I mean, I've seen an uptick in all the stuff that we're doing. Uh, it's interesting. I know you were talking about this with Chris Lemma and he had his own theory, but it really does seem that those people who may have been on the fence before about whether their businesses need to have an online presence are left with no choice. Like, if you are going to be around, it clearly is going to be online to some, if not a major yeah. extent. And so I think that forced the hand. And then when you start to look around, you know, it's interesting because there's an entire world of, of SaaS companies and other services that do CMS stuff that have nothing to do with WordPress. 
but it's really hard to avoid coming across WordPress. So I think for a lot of people, it's sort of like when you start looking for a fork, you find a fork and WordPress is a fork or a spoon or a knife or whatever. So I'm not surprised by that. A spork. It could be chopsticks. It's just the point is that like there are literally, and Chris had alluded to some 60, 40, 70, 30. I don't know what the ratio is, but there's definitely those that are going to kill it. Some of my clients are killing it. Others are gone. It just depends on the nature of your business and the nature of your entrepreneurial spirit, because there are certain things that are just not possible, feasible, practical, or desired right now. And like, if you had a physical restaurant, God bless you. It's pretty well different or all over. If you have something that's uh, used to be online, used to be live training, and you can move it online you're going to be able to kill it because you're going to have a captive audience doing yoga all day long or whatever. So you need a space to do it in. Well, I'm thankful we've been really busy, me and my little team, and we've been knocking it out. I've been a bit stretched, but um, I'm really appreciative of all the inquiries. And my traffic has just exploded to my website. It's tripled over the past six, seven months. It's literally tripled the traffic. Um so, Adrian, what do you think? I don't, I don't think this trend is going to be specific to WordPress. I think if you looked across the board of all of the different online solutions to host an online business, I'm sure all of them are up 52% or more, not just WordPress, Shopify, and uh, all the element, Tutor LMS, or not, that's a WordPress plugin, but all of the other like online LMS solutions, and Thinkific, there's one and Squarespace and Wix. I'm sure all of them are just like doing gangbusters right now in terms of traffic. I think this is just a byproduct. I think WordPress traffic's being up or WordPress search being up is a byproduct of everybody trying to figure out, all right, well, I need to get my shit online. And it's a good time to be offering digital uh, SaaS products uh, like myself and, and like Spencer. It's a good time to be providing people with those solutions in order to get their shit online. See, I'm 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 like Matt Medeiros. I'm passionate about WordPress, but obviously I'm English, so sometimes I don't show it. And this is this is what really nag irritates me about this whole Gutenberg fiasco, and that's why I keep going on because I don't want to be negative about it. I want to be positive about it. But um, we, as a community and as a platform, could have been in a much much stronger place without how it had been handled and the whole bad taste. And we lost a lot of good people like Morton and other really powerful community leaders that got really pissed off by the way they were treated. And Matt, the other Matt, he just, um, it's like he's in a bubble. He just won't have it. And he just won't say that, yes, on reflection, I didn't do a really good job here and it was my responsibility and I'm sorry and I've learned a lot from it and it won't happen again. He just won't say it. I know, you know, you smile, you, you know. Like, like the, you, you know, listen, I'm old and cynical, but I'm also world experienced and yeah. weary. And the point of the I, story is I am bothered personally, but I think I don't know Matt at all personally. And I think he's a genuinely nice person, but I am 100% willing and have been going on record is he has two phases 
he is not being himself in his public persona in the way that he is normally because when he has let that crack in the door open a bit, and especially in the past, you see how he is. He's a real person underneath the skin. But this whole like zen-like way he talks and everything else is doing everybody a disservice at this point because people psychologically need a leader that they trust is honest. And his credibility, which we'll talk about in this next story, is tested every time you talk about pet projects like Gutenberg, because nobody feels he's leading and giving the direction that we could use, which would make the platform better, or else somebody will come in and yeah. take advantage of that Achilles heel. Right, is- so I, I kind of threw that in because we go into this next story, where Gutenberg went wrong with theme developer edition. And this is on the tavern, and I think, you know, it's... The, got the new editor, and I think he's starting to fire at all engines, you know, the old um, tablet, you know. So what do you reckon about this one, Spencer? Yeah, I love I love this. Is First of all, high fives to Justin. This is yeah. old school Justin. Yeah. Thank God. Yeah, because uh, it's so, been busy, doesn't it? Yeah, like finally, we're talking about something that really people want to talk yeah, about. Yeah, it's got some... Go, go down to the comments. Oh, Comment one says it all. Yeah. Comment two by our f- mutual friend Brian Gardner really emphasizes because Brian Gardner. I really, I really like Brian. He's the most diplomatic human being next to Jack Arturo yeah. or something. And yeah. yet Brian Gardner was <laughs> on record <laughs> saying, yeah, it is an infuriating car crash of Gutenberg. Well, that's, that's what it is. It's just a shit fest, isn't it? Yeah. It's just a so the, the point shit is, fest, isn't it? I mean, the, the point is what we were just talking about. I personally keep saying, and everybody, I think, generally agrees, which is WordPress could use something that is definitively either a replacement in a great way for the editor, and it makes it easier to move over than this two years later, still 6 million people use the classic editor plugin, or it's really a page builder, in which case it has to act like the other page builders and get the thing going already two years later. Instead, it's in that near, you know, near between world of heaven and earth of what is it and what is it doing and who's in charge and is it ever going to fix, which everybody else is moving at lightning speed right now in a world where 25 or 50% more people are looking for a CMS. Like, had we had this shit worked out, this would have been an opportune moment to strike. Instead, it's just more uncertainty. And now we're debating like what to do with this, which is a huge waste of time because you can just say, or I'll push it all aside. See, I had to make a decision as as a business myself. And I made the decision, Astra, Alamator. That was going to, no, we either do, we either you take a theme from the starter um, library or we do semi-custom or we do full custom. Full custom is based on the parent theme, the Ashta theme. And yeah, we build that, and we that, build we build on Alimator. We had to make a decision. We can't we can't build things on four different freaking platforms. It's it's bad enough trying to make a profit to start off with. But even that is a, is an evolutionary discussion. So you and I talked before, and I had another client this week where I validated what you and I experienced. So first of all, Sujay and his team at Astra and all the themes that they provide and the Elementor stuff, terrific. I will go on record saying, sure, you can get Astra Pro, but Astra Free 
does the limited thing that you need a theme for today, which is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And to be honest, there's no need to have a theme anymore, except mm. for there's a gap between the core WordPress code and the page. Now, I, I, that's where we divide. Hold on. I, I fundamentally disagree so our, with our, you there. Our story here is about where will the design and the mechanics yeah. and the other functions come in? Whereas in the past, it would have been a theme. It would have been through the customizer if you bought into that. Right now, as you and I experienced when you asked me to help you with that, and I validated with a client, Astra has these little theme pack things, right? Yeah. At the same time, as you look in the Envato story, Envato is now selling template packs, which are Elementor. They're doing the same thing, except yeah. here's, hold okay. on, hold on, yeah. let me just No, finish. no, I'm agreeing. I see where you're going with this thing. But let me finish it, because here's the point. When you look at what Astra starter packs do, for fuck's sake, they use Elementor to create a template, and they put it inside the customizer, and they hide it away so that if somebody starts using it, like you, they have to figure out to dig three levels deep to go, oh my God, Astra the theme made an Elementor template that it's using. And it's like, why do we need the layer of Astra? Why do we need Astra theme packs? You just need Elementor and Elementor packs with WordPress and the classic editor. You've left yourself with two less things to confuse yourself with. And that, my friends, is the whole point. Because if classic editor was turned into Gutenberg and it was just an editor. And they said, fine, forget it. We're not going to be in the page building business. We could just get on with the real point, which is let's just connect a page builder to the core of WordPress and call it a day. Thank you for letting me finish for once, John. I appreciate that. Oh, come on. I let you finish loads of times. But I think you made a really powerful point there, which um, I'm starting to lean towards your logic to degree. I think... Before I put it over to John, I, I think I think the problem with this is that they is that they want to turn WordPress.com into Squarespace Wix competitor, and that's why they couldn't do the logical thing which you've just stated, Spencer. But they could have done it. They could have just said, you know, we gotta we gotta make improve the experience on WordPress.com. Um, but we're going to separate the two environments a bit more, which I think would have been beneficial, but they decided not to do that. What do you reckon, John? Well, if you go all the way down near the bottom of the comments section, there's a person from the theme. There was great comments, when not yeah, really there? There's a comment down here, and there's one in particular that I'm looking at. Uh, somebody from the themes review team that says it's not Otto, is it? WordPress theme development, don't. No, I'm not. A, Otto's not in the street. What's the name of the person? Oh, there we go. The streak's alive. Um, but uh, it's Ari. It's down near the bottom. Uh, but he says <clears throat> all the decisions that have been made have been for the benefit of WordPress.com, and they're. This whole project is basically to turn it into a commercial product that can compete with Squarespace, which I've been saying their their blocks language comes from Squarespace. They want to compete with Wix and all that. So this whole like, you know, 33% of the web, most of it's self-hosted. Also realize too that the Tavern is uh, the entity that signs their check is Aubrey Capital, which is behind Automatic. You know, which is why they're like, oh, my God, like, Theme Forest. Like, it's so terrible that they have all these things that don't support the block editor. 
But the truth is, for the average person, ThemeForest is the face of WordPress. Uh, for the average person, that that is WordPress to them. So you know, I understand. You know, the the, the whole goal is is to make this into um, a full site editing thing to where they get rid of page builders, they get rid of themes. Um, but I don't know. It's it's still not ready for prime time. It's not as Gutenberg as is a um, page building tool is still not even as good as you know any of the tools. Not even you know Visual Composer or any of these other things. But that's what they're trying to reinvent. So I don't know. So what do you reckon, Adrian? I have to admit, I'm getting a little bit weary of the Gutenberg versus page builders conversation. Seems to be something that we can't escape on this panel. The free market will decide. I'll, I'll leave it right, out for the next. The I'll leave it out builder. for the next two weeks. Right? Sorry. The, for the, the free market will decide eventually yeah. whether Elementor forks WordPress or who you know which themes sell the most or you know. Who decides, you know, what blocks to include and in which platform for which hosting company? Uh, uh, over over time, there will be winners and losers, and we're just going to have to deal with whatever tools come out. I can understand. I can understand your impatience with this conversation in a way because the way you're coming from. But what you've got to understand, Adrian, is that you've only been involved in the WordPress community for about for seven couple, years. For seven years. For seven oh, years, I've been what? a product. I've been a product developer and product distributor for WordPress products for five of those years. Right, so it's longer than I thought, actually, because we we've been involved and we've been exposed to what Matt, you know, Matt's kind of community statements for a lot longer that we're all in this WordPress community, and you know, I mean, take I the, get take, that, take, but now take the weed, you know. It's, it's a it's a recur it's a recurring point of view that we share often, and I think that, I mean, I'll just, I'll just throw in my two cents on on just the story, which is, uh, WordPress needs to develop some sort of like uh, internal blocks HTML compiler or something or other. Very much how the App Store for Apple uh, has reusable components for developers to use that makes all the lists look and function exactly the same. All the buttons look exactly the same across all of the apps. And I think that for plugin and theme developers, if they had some sort of like high level structured object that they could just inherit and then use that in their development of blocks, that would make everybody's life a lot easier and make the experience of developing and the experience of implementing custom themes and custom plugins a lot simpler as well. So I think if any investment in time is to be made on the block and theme development story, it is to just build high-level classes and high-level high structured objects within WordPress core that can be extended up by developers instead of kind of leaving it up to, you know, whoever, who has the best way to create a custom block. I think if any, any time is spent, it's not to be spent on let's fork Elementor, let's fork WordPress, or let's buy all of these other plugins and make them go out of business, or let's not reinvent the wheel. Just like, you know, do it like the app store. That's like the kind of like the simplest way to do it. I know in, I know in my own 
development experience, every single one of my 42 plus extensions uses the exact same template and building blocks to build every single component. So across our suite of products, everything looks exactly the same. And it makes development, we can push out an extension a day if we really wanted to. To just, and because it, it makes it easier and easier and easier because we develop these high-level structured objects to just make iterative building so much simpler. And I think if they spent, you know, the week doing that, then everybody's life would be a lot easier. But that's yeah. That. I, think that's, I think you made some. That's really what good. I think. But yeah. uh, uh, free so, market will decide literally everything else. <laughs> right on to the next one. Um, number five, kit 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 out. And Vito brings hundreds of customizable code-free template kits to WordPress and Animate. So, what, so what do you reckon of this one, Spencer? I mean, hello. It's 213 <laughs> ready-to-go template kits, thereby making it that you do not need to worry about yeah. Astra or Hello Theme or anything else. You just need something to glue the core yeah. WordPress to Elementor. And then the rest is like for $21, go get a kick-ass thing that you can extend. And best thing of all, you only need to look in the first drawer of your file cabinet because everything is in Elementor instead of this like, six layers of other garbage of legacy and yeah. whatever. I'm in agreement with Adrian to a certain extent, which is funny. It's just like, first of all, I got chunks of guys like you in my stool. Seven years is nothing. But other than that, uh, Adrian is 100% correct. That was my old Frank Sinatra from Saturday Night Live. Um, Adrian is correct that, like, all of this thing is exhausting to talk about because we really, everybody agrees. We have zero, we have zero impact. You need on the one outcome. thing and we should just get on with it, right? Like, yeah, use. Use one tool. Well, it's, the, it's, the, it's the news. The news panel. This is the news. So you know, these, these are the stories that this story represents to me the sort of summation of what we've been discussing on all this. And Jonathan, even though I know you like to be the, the devil's advocate, you do agree because when you call me and we talk about it, I demonstrate for you that you just need your page builder. Call it a day. And if you like something else, fine. But Elementor definitively makes this easy. Well, you need a framework. It doesn't, but it doesn't, I do agree with you. You've explained it. It doesn't really matter where that framework comes from. Yeah, because none of the functionality that you previously would have used in a child theme exists but for one thing. Occasionally, you'll add a function, in which case you have functions PHP. But that's just as easily done by adding a, a function PHP type plugin. And just now you have a plugin that holds those special little things. Rare indeed in today's page builder world that you even need that. So this is really nice evidence of what's happening. And it's also, I guess, wrapping up the other parts of the story, which are my prediction has been and will continue to be that there will be not a showdown. It will be one shot, bullet to the middle of the head, uh, gunfight. Assassination. And, and I think you understand, I think I believe that it won't be automatic winning. I think it will be something created by Elementor, and I think they're going to pull the power play before the end of the year with what they're going to offer, whatever that may be, because it's just the natural outcome of all this. And bring in the hosting environments, same thing. If you're a host, you're looking for how I can make money. If the guys from Elementor and their VCs come up with like, here's a stack of shit that makes gorgeous websites and we're going to be innovating like crazy, who are you going to want to partner up with, them or the politics of Matt Mullenweg and Automatic trying to be something. Ta-da. So. The free market will decide. 
yeah, yeah, I see where you're coming from. All right, then. Um, let's, well, let's got time for the last one. Have you embraced the subscription business mode? And this comes from Chris Mammer's blog website. And he was on our show, um, which is public now. We had a, me and Adrian had a, a, I think, a very interesting It was a really good one. I enjoyed that one. Yes, he gets top marks. And, um, um, and we covered a lot of stuff. So, Adrian, what do you reckon about this article? I think any business, especially in the WordPress industry, not collecting subscription revenue is doing themselves and their clients a disservice. Uh, there are lots of, uh, there's lots of tools of currently available to help you start billing subscriptions easily. I think one of the biggest hindrances for people not doing it off the bat is the fact that they don't know which tools to use. And there's plenty of them. Uh, I sell all of my downloads and my, my business goes exclusively through Stripe and easy digital downloads. Uh, which has lots of like built-in tools for subscriptions that makes collecting recurring revenue extremely simple. Uh, you can do the same thing through WooCommerce or you can do it through, uh, there's a great plugin called WP Simple Pay. Uh, I even have my own uh, really simple payments, which is an extension for Groundhog. All of these plugins enable you to easily collect recurring revenue every single month. For uh, And then I think the second problem for why people don't, really get into the subscription model is number one is they don't know which tools to use. Number two is they don't know which product or what products would be applicable in order to collect subscription revenue. So I think for a lot of businesses, if you, if you're currently only in the per contract area, if you're a freelancer or maybe if you're a product and you're just doing the one-off, if you're a software product and you're a WordPress plugin, immediately just start charging for yearly support and automatic updates. That's the easiest change you can make. Advanced Custom Fields is making this change if they haven't already. Uh, but so many plugin authors currently out there who are just doing the one-time payment, you're doing yourself a major disservice. Just move to yearly billing uh, like every other kind of like big WordPress plugin space out there and make that change. If you are a content producer, so if you're doing something like uh, a blog where you're moderating content and you're doing that kind of thing. An easy subscription is just to start charging for, you know, ad-free experiences where for like a dollar a month or premium content. If you have a premium content channel, easy to just add a subscription for five, ten dollars a month and start getting that recurring revenue in there. Those are some easy ways. If you are a SEO company or you're a freelancer, the most effective recurring subscription product that I've seen is just charging however many hundred dollars a month you think is valuable for on-call support. You know, if so, you're charging like, hey, listen, you, I will dedicate an hour or two hours of support to you every single month if you need it. And for this service, I'm going to charge you, you know, X hundred dollars a month. Uh, I've seen a lot of freelancers and agencies implement this over the last couple of years and, and not a single one of them regrets it. So easy money to be made from subscriptions that requires very little effort from you. Just go download any of the subscription WordPress plugins, set up a product that you think is, uh, would be valuable to not only yourself, but your clients and you're basically good to go. And if it doesn't work, you didn't invest that much in it and you can keep iterating until you have something that's, that, that sells well. Uh, what do you reckon Spencer? Um, I mean, Adrian really covered the topic. I, I just think we all agree that we're in a membership economy. So essentially people don't want anything more than one relationship to get as much as they can. Because once you have a trusting partner, 
like Netflix is a good model. I think that says it all. And we see this all the time from the standpoint of marketing automation and membership sites and all the rest. I always tell people, forget all those ancient gold, silver, bronze, blah, blah, blah. It's just simple. All you can eat, it's just a factor of time. Is it, do you get access for a day, a week, a month, or a year? That's what you charge people for. Because otherwise, you're doing everybody a big favor by offering everything you can for, uh, you know, that kind of a model. And in the end of the day- I don't necessarily agree with that. I think, I think Better Plus Pro or, or, you know, Good, Better, Best, that kind of model uh, in any pricing situation- has a certain effect because you can differentiate and and you actually sell end up selling more because of the distribution between the different plans. It's like 10, 20 or something like that. Okay. I mean, I'll amend it to the difference between product and service. So here's where I, I I do agree with what your point is, but I'll differentiate it for my own purpose. Let's say with software, right? You can have a software that's one license or five sites or unlimited sites and charge different pricing. But at the end of the day, it's open source software. So the real thing you're charging for is how much am I going to have to hassle with you by yourself, you and four of your clients, or all the people you, you hassle me with? And what I like to say is that is actually something you could charge separately for. We've experimented with that successfully, where you get the software for one price unlimited. Use as much as you want. But then you charge people a separate factor for how much how many number of people are I actually going to support? And you're starting to see more of that. Even Chris alluded to it in your interview where when it comes to like what Liquid Web or somebody else will offer, it's like you can have the thing for one price. How many people are we going to have to support? Because he talked about how freemium can fail. And I mean, I, I knew of this 15 years ago because you get the free people are the biggest pain in the ass. They demand the most, they ask the most, they abuse you the most. Whereas the people that you charge at least a dollar for up front are respectfully going to consider money as money. And so that's the recommendation I have to anybody is you can always modify it and add new products and never do lifetime deals unless you have a back out. Like lifetime deals that say three years of support, that's fine. But lifetime deals of being forever your B-I-T-C-H, forget about it. It's just a trouble. I, I actually have, uh, uh, I, think, I think an in-between on the lifetime deal and the subscription model. Yeah. Because I've been experimenting, experimenting with this for the last 30 days, and that's uh, offering a three-year contract where the deal is you get three years of license support for the cost of two. And that's actually been performing quite well for me uh, in terms of overall sales and the, and the distribution between people who just go for like, the, the recurring. But that's in the first the year. Deal. That's yeah. in the first year. I'm saying, and with respect to the fact, I realize these are new things for what you're trying, and the world changes having the benefit of hindsight and seeing how these go and looking even at classic things like woo themes. I'm saying the lifetime things bite you in the ass in your yeah, two, no, three, four. Yeah. Like, like uh, you can get all the money up front. Woo woo. Lifetime deal. I'm rich, build a house, move to California, ignore my customers. Then they come back to haunt you with a vengeance. And that's what I would warn against. And we know who are ta- I'm talking about her. So. so what do you reckon, John? Yeah, I mean, I mean, my my thing is is I call it retainers, um, but it's basically a sub, it's recurring revenue, it's subscriptions. Um, you know, I don't sell recurring revenue like products or anything like that. But you know, for plugins, themes, any type of software, it's going to make sense. But yeah, I mean, definitely, I think Spencer's his line of. People want one relationship for as much as they can get. That's kind of what it's about. 
you you got that trust and people uh you know trust your company to do whatever it is you're doing that's the way to go if people could look at their credit card bill and turn five line items into one large line item i think they would people easier to easier to track that relationship and, and by the way, don't get me wrong by saying just because you have one product today that you offer for day, week, month, year, that does not stop you from offering second, third, fourth, fifth line of products. I had very good success with that model. You must always protect the logic. So you can't say you get all of me forever for a price. You have to say it's this thing and it's in a vertical. And then you can go a second, third, fourth. Pippin Williamson was a champion of that and still is. That's why they're doing very well differentiate the thing you're actually saying is a, you know, a, a subscription model. And then you can have, you know, layers or multiple packs and yeah. Yeah. But, but as an agency, I love lifetime deals. And when I, when, when it's something I really use a lot, we use really a lot and I'm offered a really great deal to jump in, but it's a different scenario because normally, um, it should be said it isn't, but normally if you're selling to agency, um, when we have a, you know, we ask for some support when we can't fix it ourselves, but you're not going to be inundated. It's probably a real bug where if you ask, you know, you if you ask Adrian or you ask Chris, when you're just dealing with the general public, you're, you're really inundated with a lot of um, questions which you're not going to get from a a developer or agency to some extent. Would I be right about that, Adrian? Of course. I think, I think the, uh, in, in terms of the lifetime deal thing, great for the end, great for the customer because you, know, you never have to pay for it again. Well, if it's, if it's, uh, age, if it's, if it's uh, <laughs> where you're, you're still not going to be inundated with a load of support questions. I still, I, yeah, I mean, yeah, but, you can't do as a business and you're doing a lifetime deal. You don't get to decide who your customer is. At that point. Right. You don't get to only sell it to agencies and developers. Right. Well, I, think, so, I, think, yeah, to, I think, you, I think if you, it's the, the verbiage, if you say it's multiple sites and you say agency. Uh, um, but it, here's it, the thing. If you're a business and you're selling an agency dedicated product, you're not worried about a lifetime deal because agencies typically have the money to pay for it. Right. The tip, you know, when you do like a lifetime deal, the vast majority of your customer base is not going to be people who like can afford the, the, the recurring billing of however many, you know, expensive dollars your product is. It's going to be, all right, listen, I need a product, but I really want a good deal and I'm not willing to spend any more on it. Like that's, if I had a dollar for every time someone messaged me on my live chat and asked, are you going to do a lifetime deal? And I said, no, not a single one of those people ever bought the product. Not yeah, a single one ever said, this is a great product. Pardon? I was going to say, agencies respect that they're going to take your knowledge once and then disseminate it amongst themselves. They'll just rinse and repeat. Whereas the people that abuse you are the people you're describing, which is, I need a lifetime deal just because I'm collecting, you know, little glass figurines on my shelf. And then they don't buy your regular product. And if they got the lifetime deal, they will haunt you day and night expecting you to be their bitches. That's the difference between an agency and a person who's a consumer. When you tell that consumer it's $300, you filter out right up front. What's the relationship going to be? It's going to be, 
man, that's expensive. You're like, yeah, because it's a high quality service around this product. And if you're honest up front, it's just like dating. You know, you can go on Tinder or you can go on real dates looking for a husband or wife or a partner. Those are different types of dating. And if you start with one, you can't shift to the other because you've already established what you're looking for is to get laid, not to get married. So this is what happens when you give freemium. And Adrian, I know you're very well versed on this. We had this whole thing back in the 2000s about the freemium in Silicon Valley. That's how I ended up at WordPress was that they were just giving it away, giving it away, giving it away. And I'm like, I'm from Chicago. If you had a hot dog stand where you said free hot dogs for everybody, guess what? You'd be out of hot dogs in five minutes and broke. But that's what the mindset was. And that's where you have this service thing where lifetime value has to be definitive and limited and at a high price because that's the only way to know whether the person's wasting your time. And if not, then say goodbye, you know, find somebody else because there's somebody there will work for five bucks an hour, but you don't want to be the person. I would love to see the statistics on every company that's launched on AppSumo and was in business at least two years later. I would love to see that statistic and to see how many of them made it, who did, who not businesses who went on AppSumo after they were established. And I don't know why a business would ever do that in the first place, uh, but businesses who launched on AppSumo for however many hundreds of thousand dollars and are still you know, providing the service and are established and are no longer in AppSumo, you know, X amount of years later. I'd love to see the, the comparison, you know, is it 30%, is it 60%, is it 100%? I'd love to know. And I wonder if it's possible to get those statistics. But going back to, to Jonathan, you cannot, when you let, launch a lifetime deal, you do not get to decide who your customer is. And if it's an agency and you're giving them the lifetime deal, that's great. But for every agency client that you get on the lifetime deal, you're going to get four or five others. Just like Spencer says, you're just going to you know, be a pain in your ass. And, and, and that's why I have never launched a lifetime deal and will never for anybody who's curious if Groundhog will ever do a lifetime deal. Yeah, let me know. Don't use his chat and ask him the question because you're not going to get a reply. I mean, I can just say, you can say with Oak, uh, like with Noah Kagan from OK Dork, that, w- that was born at the same time as Groupon. And they've evolved and, be, and been very you know, interesting with the products they've white labeled and branded. But when you look at their model today, it's not about companies that are doing well. It's what's happening is it's like this thing is tired and it's got to be dumped and everything is at 60, 70. I don't don't agree with that. Well, you can go look at the products then because it's all about giving it away as a lost leader in order to get some kind of market notice. That's all it's about. Look at the actual sales. And that is, not a, that is not a derogatory comment. That is a factual statement. And you can look at other guys like Andrew Palmer, who I respect, who was in charge of running all the Divi communities. He's running sales on themes and other products that are SaaS, which they were fine for the moment, but they've lost their luster for some reason. And now they need to just milk the, the last dot of it. And that's fine. That was what Groupon did. But we're in a very dynamically changing world where... Pricing right now is definitively market uh, based upon trust, relationship, and a membership economy. People want less complication, less people to deal with, less people to pay, and one trusting source if they can get it for all their stuff. And I think that's a great opportunity for people who recognize it. And it's also why we're seeing this aggregation of your hosting company is going to provide you the stack of software da, 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 in one package so you can just get on with focusing on surviving in this world that's crazy. So. 
Well, great discussion panel. Um, I think we've got we've gone a bit over. So, have you got anything, any recommendations at all, or or, or no, you haven't? Any recommendations? Uh, I've been listening to the rework. Oh. We start with Spencer. You got anything you want to recommend? Uh, yeah, because I may have to jump up. I am going to do a rare, unless you're mad at me for doing. It. I'm going to do a rare self plug for a Go freebie. On. Uh, Launch Flows has a seven-day free trial. It's a full working WordPress site with everything I talk about every week ready to go. So it's got WP Fusion, it's got Launch Flows, it's got Elementor. It's ready to go with three examples so you can experience what a modern online business could be for any kind of purpose, membership, marketing, automation, LMS, and so forth. If you want, you could connect your favorite CRM to it like uh, Groundhog or just use the built-in thing. The primary purpose is to show just how simple it can be to have custom WooCommerce checkout experiences with Elementor, not sales funnels, although you can certainly do sales funnels processes. It's really about the checkout and how you can give somebody what they want when they need it without having to code or design. So uh, it's at launchflows.com slash demo dash launcher or go to launchflows and click the free seven-day trial button at the top and uh, and give it a try. There's no, you have nothing to lose and everything to gain. Play around. Is that, is that in chat? It's in the chat here. Oh, great, great. Um, Adrian, got anything you want to recommend? Yeah, I've been listening to Rework FM, which is uh, Basecamp's founders podcast, if you're familiar with Basecamp, the project management tool. Um, I've been learning a lot. They have uh, some unique insight and different ways of thinking of things for software project development uh, that... I've been taking a little bit to heart and uh, there's just some really, really good stuff in terms of how you run your business. That's different from like the dogma of, of what we typically come to expect. A great example would be kind of like the myth of like, they talk a lot about the myth of the Silicon Valley tech founder, uh, which I've been relating to a lot. Cause you know, it's all about, you know, VC money and, and get funding and, you know, billion dollar businesses are bust and, and that kind of mythology and, and hero worship. And they have just a really down to earth way of like thinking about things it's like, you know, it's good enough to run the business that you run, no matter how much money it makes. And it's, mm-hmm. it's uh, so if you want to feel good about yourself and learn something at the same time, uh, you can listen to rework.fm. Hey, John, got anything you want to recommend? Yeah, I got one. And uh, this is an article by another SEO guy, Michael Martinez. But I found it interesting. I did a video on this probably a few months ago, uh, but it's called What Every SEO Specialist Really Needs to Know About Vectors. And when we're talking vectors, we're not talking like Adobe Illustrator or SVGs. We're talking like patterns of um, what Google sees when they're looking at um, different uh, results that seem to satisfy users. So just very intriguing article. Go check it out. All right. Thank you so much, panel. I think it's been a fabulous discussion, another great discussion. And um, we'll see you next week, listeners and viewers, another great roundtable at WP Tonic. We'll see you soon, folks. Bye. Thanks for listening to the WP Tonic Podcast, the podcast that gives you a dose of WordPress medicine twice a week.